to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. A really good book called The Trellis and the Vine. And so uh, that, that idea of the trellis and the vine is uh, think through um, a, a living organism, a plant that's growing, the vine. And so uh, there's some biblical metaphors. If you haven't heard those, you need to look up those. And so like, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Um, without me, nothing's actually growing, right? And so the, the vine is, is, is the, the picture of us being abiding in and joined to and connected to um, Christ. And so the vine is the living body. That's our lives, right? What's the trellis? This building is part of the trellis, the structure. So think of a vine and then the lattice work. You know, if you put it out in a garden, you put one of those trellises and what happens? That tiny little plant that's on the ground that's two inches tall, it grows and grows and expands and expands and it's living, it's connected to the root, right? And it grows in the, the, the trellis is just the structure that that vine begins to kind of weave its way and grow on. And so the trellis and the vine. And so today, core values, that's talking about more of the vine work, if that makes sense. Again, a trellis would be, hey, um, what is, um, where's the place that we meet at? What is the time? What classes do we offer? Um, we, we have small groups that meet on this time. It's the structures that are around. It could be your financial structures. It could be your leadership structures. And those are the things that, that helps. But it, you can think of it like a skeleton and uh, the, the muscles formed around that. The skeleton is, is those, those structures, right? And then the living uh, parts of, of, of the muscles that form around those bones, uh, all those ligaments and joints, that's, that's that living aspect. And so uh, today on, on Core Valley, that's this living aspect. Um, and, and, and as we're talking about that, thinking through um, that idea of being connected, abiding, that, that's everything. Um, it's interesting in the psychology world, there, there, there's huge movements right now that are going on talking about a, attachment and detachment and things like that. And so um, one of the things that, that when Jesus was talking about abiding in him and being connected. And then in, in, in Luke's, uh, in uh, John 17, when he's praying before the Father, right before the cross, and uh, that beautiful prayer, the picture there is this complete attachment. It, it's this thing, uh, if you're abiding in me and you're connected, you will know. There will be fruit flowing from that. You know, if you see a tree and there's, there's uh, uh, some ruined small little apples or something laying on the ground. They're not connected anymore. They're, they're not good to eat. They didn't fully develop. Um, so, but when it's connected, all those nutrients are flowing into that. And so all those metaphors that he uses, a picture of this idea of being attached. And now here's psychology going like, oh, hey, here's something. It helps for children to have a lot of healthy attachment. And if there's, there's parts that they're not attached well, it's going to be jacked up. If, the, if, if you create a place where the, the dad is angry, angry and abusive and treats the mom horrible or is not consistently there or the mom's gone, the dad's gone. Like, oh, oh, we're learning that you have to, you have to abide and be together and be attached. You're like, yeah, yeah, everyone gets that. Like, glad it's 2024 and you're coming around to those things. And so um, in the same picture here, we are the body of Christ. And so when you come around a, a body, here are some of the things, the ethos, the DNA that you should be experiencing when you walk around that group of people. And so um, these are thinking through, this is, this is kind of like the outward expressions of the type of environments that you're trying to create from your theological vision. So we're grounded in the Word. The Bible tells us the church has to be about these things. So you want great commandment, great commission, those type of things. Um, but then flowing out, of that, what, what does that look like? We, we want to be a place that, that, that holds to truth, and we're not going to compromise our truth, right? But then in the middle of that, you don't just go like, well, I'm just truthful. Here, here's the truth. You can't handle it. And I've literally been, been around some pastors like that. You want to be a loving expression because you can't just be truthful. You've got to be grace-oriented. Jesus came in grace and truth, right? And so um, you want your DNA and the, 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 the things that you actually value 
to be what people experience. And so we're going to look at those. Um, one way to think through value is, if you said it like this, if we say we value fill in the blank, okay? If we say we value fill in the blank, then X, Y, and Z would probably have to be present to produce that. If we say we value this, and I'm going to explain this a little bit deeper. If we say we value this, fill in the blank, it would probably require X, Y, and Z to be present for that to be experienced. So um, many places, many churches, different places would say something like, hey, we value fidelity to God's word. We value fidelity. We're going to stick to God's word. And you need to. You need to. But you guys have probably been around, and I've seen places and been around where sometimes that, that's, that means I, because I'm truthful, I, I get a right to be harsh and angry. Um, it, it's truth with no grace or love. It's head knowledge with lacking love and compassion. Um, and, and many others may say, we, we value just, just friendship and open arms. We, we're so welcoming. We're so friendly when people show up. So you've been seen those places, right? Um, sometimes in those places, we're so welcoming that they abandon, abandon serious gospel truths and doctrines. A welcoming, friendly place, but it's lacking in biblical convictions and the application of that. And so, so right now, there's a lot of churches that, that grew really big, some big box churches, and they didn't want to deal with certain uh, sexual immorality issues or certain things going on in, in all the identity stuff. And so they're just like, hey, no, we're just welcoming you. Oh, I, I love that. We're, we're welcome to all. As long as when they get in the door, that, that you're going to lovingly share the truth and, and give lots of space and time to go, this is our authority, though. I know you came in looking like this and, and believing this, you're going to have to change those beliefs if they're, if they're counter from that. So we're welcoming and we're, we're, we're inclusive to these things, but, but repentance on these things that are unchanging, that's just the way it is. And, and man, you, you've got time, but I'm loving enough to, to step up and, and, and walk with you through that. Let, let's go back to your story and, and how did this belief get in your mind? How did they get there? And so right now, those churches that haven't done that, now they're kind of looking around going like, oh man, we've got a ton of members, we've got a ton of leadership, a ton of people in our band up front, a ton of people that are preaching and teaching, and they're living lifestyles that are completely um, obsolete of this, that, that are completely contradictory of this. And so what do you do there? Well, we were so welcoming and friendly, but we dropped our biblical convictions. Uh, man, you, you better be training your kids in how they can operate in that, that my generation and, and maybe half the millennials um, and, and everyone above us didn't have to deal with that. It was like, this is what's black and white, cut and dried, and that's how it is. You train your kids on how can you still hold to the biblical truth when everyone around you believes in universalism, there's no hell. When everyone around you believes that just lo you can love whoever you want to, you can marry whoever you want to. How do you train your kids to do that and not go, God, those stupid idiots, I hate them, God, those people, I just can't stand that whole, no, no, that was us. We were those people, and Jesus came to us in love and grace and truth. And so we want to be that type where we're, we're, we're not compromising biblical truth, but we're also a loving, friendly environment. Uh, other places, they, they say they value kingdom growth and expansion. So some churches, you, you kind of go, and it is. I mean, it's energizing. It's like, hey, this week we're going to go kill it. Here's three easy steps for you to reach your neighbors. One, two, three. Right at the end is, you know, God, we just pray that you'd let us do this. And, and now your job, go and do that. And, and it's very motivating. Like, man, I feel like we're doing a lot. And whether it's really happening or not, but it just always feels like that week after week. And so it's kind of that cheer, pom-pom, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so that idea, sometimes they, they, that's going on. It's full of programs, full of a lot of busyness, but biblical convictions and loving relationships get dropped because you're a project. Your neighbor is a project. Um, you don't, you're not really taking the time to be patient and care for people. It's just a, a project work. So we're going to be looking at these core values, and I've got a slide up here um, covering two today and then two in a couple of weeks. So concerning values, you also want to be aware of the gap between aspirational values and actual values. So like well, we've been at a church before, so I did this, well, I went through this whole process, six months or maybe eight, eight to 10 months at one church of looking at just our values. And you go like, good grief, are y'all slow readers? Um, it takes a, a while to go, what, what are these values? And then um, people will be like, oh yeah, I, 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 I think we match up with those. Well, ask other people, ask visitors, and then ask your own people, are we living those things out? So aspirational values, after a while, you need to look at what are the reasons that we're not really valuing that, and, and, but we think that we are. And so we'll, we'll get into that. And some of them are difficult, very difficult. So, but just know that there's sometimes aspirational values 
And then there's actual, well, actually, we're not real good at that. Like we say we value that, we're not good at that. You may have been in a company, a lot of companies have integrity. It's one of the things, they're stealing millions of dollars from people, right? It's like integrity. We stand on integrity. Like everyone can spell it, but no one lives it out. And so um, we're going to be looking at these, um, and hopefully as a five-year plant that, that we're growing in these things. So um, here are the ones that we've got up here. And I want you to think through, these are qualities. You can see how these are qualities and characteristics that probably are a little bit experiential, right? Because we're a living vine. And so um, the first one, just love. We value love. And that, why, why will we start with that? Grace command. We love God and we love others, right? You better have that one as, as some important place in your, your church. We love God and we love others. It's kind of a fruit, it's a characteristic or a quality that can be felt. It's both tangible and intangible, right? You can feel whether people are actually loving, and you can feel when, when they're not loving. So, uh, and then also there's um, aspects of that, that that the Holy Spirit has to do that work of giving some of the, the, the depth of that type of love. It's a type of environment that you actually will feel or not feel. So love, that's the first one. Um, the second one is community. We, we value community and belonging, um, we belong in communities of grace and relationships of care. We don't get that because psychology or books tell us that people are looking for community. People are lonely. We don't do that because of just necessarily just a felt need that the culture says is important. Because then if you start going on just felt needs, what if they get one that's a felt need that's not biblical, that we say is unbiblical and sinful? Well, do we cater to that too? Again, that's a problem that some churches ran into. So we say, you know, man, community, God's all about. It, it, it's, it's a God who lives in a Trinitarian relationship. It started that way. And so, um, uh, again, this is a definitely a thing that you can feel when you're around a group of people. And we want new people to know that they have space in our lives, an area of belonging even before believing. And so for some of you, you may have been in churches where that, that was not allowed. And so we want people coming from lost backgrounds with all kinds of backstories and all kinds of uh, sinful things going on in their life. Yes, come in. You're not going to have a leadership role. You're not going to get up and teach people. You're not going to be given leadership positions. Uh, but, but we have space for you at our table before you're even a believer. Long periods of space before you're a believer. Because that's what God did with us. And so belonging, letting them feel belonging before they're even a believer. A lot of churches, you might not notice it, but it's kind of, hey, get your life straightened up. I mean, we'll smile and shake your hand, but like if you get saved, that, that's the goal. Like somebody needs to get with them within two minutes, pray that sinner's prayer, and then you can belong. And, and let me tell you, people feel that. I felt that way for years, dis disenchanted and, and frustrated and hurt by the church. And so, uh, man, you, you can tell that, that there's an expectation level. You change, and then you can be a part. And we go, no, 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 no. You're, you're not a true member if you're not a believer, but, man, come and be a part. You can even do certain roles. Hey, you can help us set up chairs. One of the things that a lot of church plants do that were for lost people in areas like extreme lostness, like Seattle and New York, man, come and be a part of the, the people setting up chairs, setting up tables, doing work service projects. They can come and do that. And what happens? All of a sudden, they're rubbing shoulders with 15, 20 believers two or three times a week, two months, three months, four months, when before, all alone, not a believer around them. Or they never even talk to them. Now they're seeing the way that people act. They're seeing the people, the way that they respond. They throw out a couple of you know, crude jokes and a couple of uh, bad things. And they notice that you know, everyone kind of like, like, okay, uh, note to self. Don't, don't, don't use cuss words in the middle of setting up the church stuff, right? And they're just growing. They start telling some, some things that are like, you know, awkward. And, and people don't jump on them. And they're just accepting. And, and in time, the Lord grows them, right? Giving space for that. So that, that's community and belonging. Uh, generosity and cost. We grow in generosity and understand cost in following Jesus. Man, I hope, I hope that people eventually see through the commercialized and comfort-seeking efforts to create more and more consumers in many places. And I hope that they see this idea of cost as something that rings true. I hope the Holy Spirit lets them go, there's something about, that's what Jesus was about. That, that's the kind of place I want to be at where, where cost is considered. Um, I hope people who have been burned by churchy situations, who are adding to the Bible, see that what they were burned by or abused by was not the true Christ. It was not true representation of his church. It was not true Christianity. And I hope that the Spirit reminds many people uh, of Jesus and the New Testament's emphasis on cost. 
um, and radical compassion, as well as our refusal to compromise truth and the authority of God's word. So as we're sitting there thinking through this, we're not going to compromise truth. We're not going to get away from the Bible. We're not going to get away from um, biblical doctrines and truth in the middle of that. But we're going to say we can do those things and still be a welcoming, loving, uh, beautiful place that people can feel welcomed in. Um, so, So we want to see that Jesus emphasized cost and radical compassion as well as our refusal to compromise truth and the authority of God's word. I hope we are loving and grace-oriented and welcoming as much as we are committed to our doctrines, right? And a lot of places choose between those two. We're choosing doctrine. We got everything right. I don't have to be nice to you. I'm kind of harsh, angry. This is my personality, just too bad, because I got truth. I'm a good Christian. I give, I show up, I'm committed, but I can't, I can't stand you. I don't care about you. And that happens all the time. So when we're, when we're looking at those things, cost, welcoming people, hey, man, we've got space for you at our table. We always have space because we've got patience. And so that's, that's generosity cost. That's a tough one, right? Hard. Cost, is that the American way? No, no, it's me gaining, right? And so that, that's hard. That, that's creeped into our church. Discipleship and multiplication, we value those. We, we multiply disciples, gospel communities, and churches. That's a lifestyle of intentionality. So we're going to get to three and four next week. But on this first one, as we, we get into this first one, we're going to look at love. So let me pray, and then we'll turn over to these scriptures. Now again, now we're going to be going into the book of Acts. We're going back into the second part of our book of Acts um, here in a couple weeks. Next week is our corporate renewal service. And then we're going to get into the book of Acts. And so um, that's going right through the scripture, um, uh, uh, verse by verse through those sections. Today we're going to be hitting some different verses, so just bear with me as we go through that. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into these. Lord, we, we come to you knowing that you are a God that creates beauty, that creates beautiful environments. Everywhere that Christ came and touched, um, there was new life springing up. We see that as Christianity spread to different places, Lord, as the gospel went forth, that there was new life being put forward. We, we give you credit and glory for that. We are the furthest from Jerusalem right now. We're across the world. So when, when he said that in Acts, um, that there, there would be the Holy Spirit coming in power and that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. And we are so thankful and grateful that the gospel made it to us. But the gospel still is going out to other people. And so would you allow us to be a people who understand our, our doctrinal truths, but at the same time, uh, the type of... Um, environments, the type of heartstrings that we should be living in as a vine, the type of DNA that we should be as the people of Christ in a very uh, polarized and, and often um, hating society. And so I pray that you would help us to think through that and help us to think through um, how we can love better, how we can help people be in community better and belonging better this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So the first one we're looking at is Matthew 22. I've got it up on the screen. I think it's got it up there. Um, and so if, if you want to join me, Matthew 22 is the great commandment. So most people know that. That's the famous story where uh, the, the attorney stepped up to Jesus. He had been growing in all kinds of popularity. Everyone knew this guy. And they thought they were going to trick him. They actually thought, hey, we're going to get this guy to make a mistake. So, hey, Jesus, everyone's listening. Hey, so what's the greatest commandment? And they, they, they had these tier tier level commandments back with the pharisees rules and laws and stuff and so in that what does jesus say here it is love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength oh okay deuteronomy stuff repeated right love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind strength he modifies a little bit and then also love your neighbor as yourself right so man that that's difficult so there there's the great commandment and he says hey if you're able to do all that you have completely aced a plus on the whole old testament all the law and the prophets. You've completely lived out everything if you are able to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pretty tough one. But then also if you love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so to do that, so difficult. So that's the first one. So this idea of love. We love God. We love others. Easily stated, very, very difficult. Um, if you lived every other law out perfectly, Every other step purposely, there would probably be moments and, and, and minutes and hours during your day where you didn't actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly, right? We, we know that. Um, another one, John 13, 34 and 35. I have that up on the 
screen also. And so um, this towards the end, this is John 13, where we get our Lord's Supper. It's where the disciples are gathered, where he does the famous washing of the disciples' feet. The cross is just a few hours away. And, and in this is where he's breaking the bread for the first time and showing them that with the Lord's Supper. And, and then he, he says this, a new commandment I give to you. So it's just the 12, a new commandment. What's this? What are we doing next? Love one another. Well, man, he said this repeatedly. No, love one another in the way that I loved you. And so they didn't even know what that meant yet. But on the cross, they were about to see that. It's a new type of love. A complete self-emptying, self-sacrificing, uh, death-to-self type of love. Love one another in this way, the way that I've loved you. So grace and mercy. Not just the cross, the way he treated, the way he, he loved on people, the way he acted with people, the way he responded when enemies came. That's hard, right? So that type of love. And then he said this, that the world, they'll know that you're my disciples. It will influence them when they see the love that you have for one another. So love. We want to be a loving place, right? Um, so in that, what about this difficult one? This is Matthew 5. Another slide for this is Matthew 5, 43 for 46. Um, you have heard that it was said. So when Jesus says this, and he, you may read over this quickly if you've done these before. If you've, taught through the, if you've been through the Sermon on the Mount, they should have brought this out. That when Jesus says this, hey, you, you guys have all heard this over here, but I'm telling you, actually, this is the truth. So we're, why does he say that? What he's doing, there are a couple things that he's doing. He's, um, his purpose in that is clarifying God's truth from man's truth. He's clarifying, hey, here, here's God's truth over here. You've been taught this, but actually, here's the truth. So here's what he says here. Hey, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, the people had been taught churchy rules, rules from the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, two big books that were there, the Mishnah and Midrash. So here's the Old Testament, and they said, hey, that, that's not good enough. Man, people um, are not living up to God's standard good enough. We're going to have to add to God's word and come up with some practical rules. Thou shalt not steal. God, good try. We're coming up with a new rule. You cannot have clothes with pockets. Cannot have clothes with pockets. If you have pockets, you're going to steal. Right? So new rule, we're adding. So thou shalt not steal. Let's add, you cannot have clothes with pockets. Who's the most godly people now? People without pockets. Did, and now what do we do? We make the new biblical role. We new, make the new rule for people to live out. We're measuring you. Who's got pockets? You see what happens? You've been taught 40 or 50 of them in your life. You're probably walking in 20 of them. You don't even realize it. Hey, we, God's not against pockets, right? God's not against pockets. God loves pockets. God was like, hey, I was the one who created pockets. God said, thou shalt not steal. But then he says, hey, man comes up with these laws. You can't have pockets. And when we do that, what we're adding to Scripture God, you, you weren't tight enough. These people are going to be loose and do some things wrong. Jesus is saying, no, this is clarity on God's word. And the religious crowd, it was turning people away. God's going, I didn't say they can't have pockets. It's okay. I love pockets. To be biblical, you can have pockets. You don't have to have pockets. But what we have done is we take some of God's laws and we, we, we make our own man-made rules. And, and then what happens is the people that can't fit that bill, that, that, that have pockets in their clothes. That's all we got is pockets. Mm, I guess you're not with us. Do you see what he was doing here? You Pharisees, you, 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 you law uh, builders and adding to the scriptures, you're adding things that people can't live out. He, he, rebuking them, he rebuked them on that repeatedly. And Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil. And we don't like that and the good. And he sends rain on the just, us, and those people. Election year, those people. Man, he's good to them, isn't he? He's gracious. The same grace that he poured out on you and me, he's gracious to us. So we, let's love. Let's love. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not, don't even the tax collectors do that? The lost people. You're no different than the lost people. Dallas Willard, 
a famous guy who, who some look to for very, very deeper thought on spiritual formation, and then others kind of are afraid of his desire for more supernatural things. Um, he had an interview towards the end of his life, and they began to talk about this idea of love. And in the middle of this interview, he kind of, like, it turned really, really intense. And it's toward the end of his life, a brilliant scholar and everything, a uh, pastor and a great theologian. And he said, this right here, what we're talking about, this is kind of everything right here. And he's talking about on the subject of love. And they started talking more about this. And he said, this may be the most important conversation in all of my years, 70-something years of pastoring and leading people. And then he went on to say that the real measure of love is how we love our enemies. And so he was dismissed immediately. People were like, oh, no, no, you know, that's not it. But, but think through it for a second. Just, just think through. That's brutal. Part of Jesus measuring you is your love for your enemies. People who are very, very different from you, people you don't like, why is that? What has the Father revealed? It's a world full of enemies. It's a world full of enemies. And what, what did the Father do? Let's just squash it. Let's kill it. I'm going to go and pursue them. In fact, they can't even pay their way back to me. I'm going to have to die in their place. Is that one of the factors measuring our love for one another? Is that the heart and the actions that God revealed in his teaching, in Jesus' teaching, in his incarnation, the whole purpose, Advent season? The picture of God coming to us who didn't deserve it? Yeah, enemies. God goes, here's, here's one of my core values. My DNA, I love enemies. Hey, church, you want to be like me? You want to know about me? You want to be really proud about how, how close you are to me? You loving your enemies good? That's hard, isn't it? This morning we had this corporate prayer time. Why is it that I can get so joyful and excited about AFC and NFC championship and just sit through three hours each one of those and yet it's painful to pray for 45 minutes. It's awkward to sit before God in silence and pray, right? How is that so enjoyable, AFC, NFC championship, watching guys with air in a, in a, in a pigskin ball, like that, that's so enjoyable and easy to me, painful to sit before my creator who's redeemed me. That's just weird. That's what God kept bringing up to my eyes. I hated it. I was like, leave me alone. Like, blah, 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 blah. I can't even pray because I'm having to, like, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. And God's going like, hey, hey, I, I'm, I'm better than football. Right? And so, man, when we're, we're thinking through our love of God, our love for God, our love of other people, there's some brutal aspects in his cross. Um, one aspect that is crucial you have to be able to see beyond my own story. The ability to think through other people's perspective. Um, the ability to understand everyone's story is not like yours. So when someone starts sharing something, what, what's going on now with all the social media stuff and all the different warning things out there, so if someone starts to share their story, the next thing that happens is, uh, no, nah, it can't be true. There's probably an agenda with them. I can't, I can't believe them. I don't do that. I don't know why they're saying that. Many times when I've at different churches, when I've brought up, even when I taught through prodigal God, I'd have some people coming just weeping in tears going like, oh my gosh, that is me exactly. And then others going like, I don't think I do that. I'm not self-righteous. Like, it, it seems like right now you really are. But anyway, they'll just, I'm not that way. I'm not that way. And we go into these defense modes. We've got to be able to understand everyone's story is not yours. That the home life that you grew up in there's people that have very, very different backgrounds. Um, and by the way, this doesn't change truth. Listening and, and caring does not create a slippery slope. Man, I wish some spiritually arrogant people could get a hold of that. Just, just because I listen to their story and they tell the story of their background and the way they grew up, and, and so whether it was their family of origin was just destruction and abusive and horrific and painful, I can't just go like, nah, that, they're probably just, they're just, they're, uh, you know, this news station said that's just, they're victimizing themselves. No, they were actually a victim. You haven't been through that. Your mom and dad were both there loving, encouraging, helping you everything to do, probably in an unhealthy manner, like my mom, Nell, God rest her soul. She was, she, she'd still be here trying to probably help me and, and pull a chair out and give me water while I'm up here. We used to have small group and it was, uh, Jamie would just die laughing and other people would too, because in small group, I was trying to be vulnerable and, and express and kind of confess, like, here's some things I struggle with. Like, yeah, I'm really not very good at this, or I, I really struggle with this. Here's my mom in small group. This is fun. Your mom in small group. Sankey, you're not like that. 
you're, you're one of the best at that. I'm like, Mom, I'm trying to, uh, I'm not really. You're, you're, you're my greatest, you know, fan, but I am a failure at this. I'm not good. And then people, people start just laughing because she's like, Sankey, you're so good at that. Say, I don't know why you're saying, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, so anyway, God rest her soul. She's a wonderful mom. But the, she was so loving that like, you need to detach a little bit, right? Like she was just like all up in your business all the time, right? And so some of you had those moms. Some didn't have that mom and dad. Some had horrific abuses. We have to be able to think through other people's perspective. And it doesn't mean that you're compromising truth or on a slippery slope when you're listening and learning and caring about other people's story. If you don't do that, it's not going to be a loving place for people. If you go, no, I'm not doing that. And you're being more influenced instead of the, by the Bible and the Spirit by people writing blogs and, and warnings about, hey, person gets knocked down, beat down. Watch out. Don't, don't, go, don't go and try to care for them. They're probably having a secret agenda. Man, we, 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 we fall for it. Lots of the church is falling for it. Everyone's story, their family of origin is not like yours. So the ability to understand People have different experiences. And we're not, if we're not able to do that, we're blind. We deny things that other people have gone through. We don't care to hear their stories, their lives. If we took time, we might see people who have gone through um, true, difficult things. People who have truly been victimized. Uh, but immediately we have these warning and alarms going off that if a person speaks about that, they're part of some agenda. So obviously the, the solid biblical person isn't fooled by that. Let me tell you, Jesus was a freaking fool. In our day, he would be a freaking fool compared to some of the churches. He wouldn't make it on staff in some of the churches because he'd be so foolish in the way that he showed love and grace. Wouldn't sign off on their criterias. He would be a fool in this day also. The gospel screams the picture of a holy God breaking into darkness, coming to pursue his enemies at the greatest cost because um, God's being slaughtered like a hated criminal. And that's mesmerizing, captivating love. We do not, in actuality, love well just because a sign on the wall says we have a core value of love. We've got to really search down and go, is that me? How well do I love? In the last two or three years, last probably four years, um, more loneliness and difficulty in the last four years than the whole first 46 years of my life. Along with that, God's showing me you don't love very well and you don't receive love very well. I've got a 96-hour degree from a phenomenal seminary. You don't love very well. You don't receive love very well. You got an F. You want to change? Man, what do you do? Sankey, hey, start doing some better things. I need more of the Spirit. I need more people that love well around me. I need to learn to love well. I need to be a better friend. I need to learn all these things. 50-something years old, F. And sure, and I know you'd be like, Nail, saying, I think you're loving. I think you're loving. Man, I can love my boys and my wife so much better. I can love you guys. I can love friends so much better. And I don't receive love well either. And I had a phenomenal growing up experience. But you get an F. So I don't bash myself about it. I'm not going to stay there, but I'm going, hey, I, I need help. I need help in this area. And that's the spirit going, hey, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving that way. So we want to be a place fighting for Christ-like, God-inspired, spirit-enabled love, spirit-enabled, going beyond our own comforts and fears and dislikes. The kingdom of God spreading through the pages of Acts that we see in the New Testament reveal a shocking type of love for others, for people who were different in their ethnicity, different in their socioeconomic status, different in their former religious ideologies, in their family histories, in their background stories. And the gospel says, I cover every bit of that. The blood of Christ covers every bit of that. And that's what we want to be about. So love. Again, is it aspirational? Is it just a word on the wall? Like, oh, uh, I, I think there's eight or ten of us that do, so I, I kind of get the option out, right? Or, man, where am I in that? So think through that one. Community and belonging, the second one. We belong in communities of grace and relationships of care. Again, if, if we say we value this, then X, Y, and Z would probably be present to produce that. So what, what, what needs to be present to be a place where community and belonging are actually valued and felt, tangibly felt? Probably grace, mercy, compassion, understanding the human condition, a hospitable, welcoming environment where there's vulnerability and honesty 
and authenticity, some transparency. Uh, when, when looking at the idea of community and belonging, insiders and outsiders, you can feel this. So think through community, belong. do I feel a part of this? When Jamie and I started looking at um, Sojourn Network, which is now Harbor Network, and you know we're Sojourn Church, part of Harbor Network, um, Harbor Network um, had um, they had some things in place, but we were kind of the guinea pig group um, to go through, and they didn't have it like simple. It's got a clear four step process now for anyone who a church planter that wants to be a part of the Harbor Network. Um, they were focused on they wanted the health of the pastor and and the pastor's wife to be really good because if that gets bad, adultery. Um, Alcoholism, drug use, leaving the wife and kids, uh, or I'm spending you know 120 hours on church stuff. My kids don't even know who I am. My wife's ready to leave me. My wife gets in an affair because I'm so busy winning the world for Christ and trying to find my identity and how much I can do for God that I leave my wife and kids behind. It's very, very common. It's very, it's like 87 percentile. We want healthy things. So they have two events that allow for that. One is two events that can help to, to help with pastoral health. And, and the wives' spiritual health also. And so they have the Leadership Summit, which is in October. And then they have a Pastor and Wives Retreat in April. So you guys have been around. You all know that we sometimes we've been able to go to some of those. Um, so now, the Leadership Summit, we got invited to. So it was one of two big things that they had. And so as Jamie and I head up there, we, we get to go up to Louisville, and they've got all these people. Now, what has happened is the Sojourn Network at that time was about 11 or 15 churches. And what that was was like, think of us as the main, if we were the main hub, right, except we're a big church of, you know, a, a thousand people. But then uh, three miles over, three miles over, three miles over, three miles over, there's four other hubs also. So Sojourn Community Church had five campuses, and people had been a part of that for four, five, six, seven years. And so we've been living life together. Our families are doing stuff together. We're eating lots of meals. We're hanging out. We're going to each other's events and things. Um, we're um, in small group together for four, five, six years together. And now we feel like the Lord has called us to go and plant a church in another place. And so now we leave and we go plant with my family and maybe another family. And now we've gone, been gone two or three or four years. This other family that we were doing life with, they also left and they, they went and planted a church over in this other area. This other family went and left. And so the leader summit was all of them getting to get back together like a reunion. And guess what? Everyone's been in the, the misery of church planting. So they're like, they're like, oh my gosh. And literally, Jamie and I walked in, like when they first worship thing, there's probably four to five people with their heads on the table. Just like this in like mourning. It's like, we're kind of upbeat and chipper. We hadn't started church planting yet. We're like, golly, they're a really depressed crowd. What's wrong with them? That must not be spiritual. And so um, anyway, then they're like, oh no, we're years four and five in church planting. And so now you understand. And so we walk in and there was a clear distinction of us for them us it's reunion time oh and so they're glad to see us like oh hey all right how are you doing and then turn back to, to the group and so there's this reunion that was happening it was a very clear felt thing all of them um they're really really good at at um their whole all their time every day every week every month they're they're in church planting world so they're looking when people come to visit they're trying to be hospitable they're trying to be welcoming they're trying to be friendly and yet here there were six of us couples, new couples, that were not part of the reunion. And we felt it. They didn't say, hey, we're all going to eat and you're not invited. That just happened. <laughs> uh, they, when when they, they had big meals, they didn't say, hey, you can't sit with us and we're all going to sit here together. It just happened because it was reunion time, right? We're, we haven't been around these people. We, we wanna, we, we're really close with these people. You can feel that. We didn't get our feelings hurt. We knew that as a network, it was a baby network with 11 churches. we got 120 churches now. So they were struggling with the aspect, what happens when new people come? All of them, they're just like us, whose first concern was not outsiders. In their small plants, they were constantly overcoming personal discomfort, awkward times, and pounding insecurities to always be engaging with new people. And here, at this place, was rest. The point is, even as church planters and couples regularly trained in emphasizing, engaging with visitors, it was reunion time, and outsiders could feel that. There were insiders and outsiders. We went through a couple of days of it, and towards the end of the second day, group of 8 or 12, 15 people are there, and Jamie and I are walking through. By the way, everywhere Jamie and I, we're kind of the mid, in the middle of ages and stuff. Here, it was 80%, 32 and under. We felt like old people. We also had Starbucks 
and they all did pour over, and they were looking at us like we were like killing kittens by having Starbucks, like we were part of the establishment or something. So, and uh, it was just this awkward thing, and we're walking through, and, and, and one guy and his posse of 12 people all stand there, and he's like, hey, and he kind of follows us. His name's Rusty McKee. Rusty pulls us aside. Hey, so, hey, so I'm, I'm guessing that you guys are, are looking at the network and all this stuff. And by the way, Rusty, phenomenal guy, great guy, has a lot of awkwardnesses of, of a, a campus ministry that we used to be a part of, Stumo, student mobilization, uh, a whole bunch of bro and dude language and all. And so was, I was just like, eh, 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 like I'd rather be alone over here. And so he was doing all these things kind of like you're trained to do, like, hey, bro, so where are you from, bro? Oh, cool, dude. Hey, bro. What? And I was just like having like these flashbacks and trauma. And so then I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, Rusty's the only one who's, who's liked us, you know? Rusty goes, hey, so we talked for about four or five minutes. And he goes, hey, man, will you guys come and sit with us? And oh, no, hey, that's all right. That's all right. So we kind of, you know, like, oh, give him the free. No, 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 man, please come and sit with us. He grabs my arm. We go sit. Now, guess what? We're, we're in the tribe. We're in the group. We're brought in. We could feel we weren't. And now we can feel we're in. Rusty reached out. Um, as we gather for Sundays in gospel communities, do we fall into the blind trap of reunion time? With reunion time, outsiders get the hint. Are we inviting people into our circle? Are we inviting them for dinner? taking them to dinner, or, or do we gather tightly with our most comfortable people? When, when people or visitors come to church events or service things or meals, are we trying to get to know them, or are we hibernating, that with, are we hibernating with those that I'm just most comfortable with? I'm saying this, and so, so that's one thing that we need to be considering. It gets worse, worse in years 5 through 10. So what you don't know that all the church plant books say, that in years 5 through 10, you start having more visitors. The ones that have been together for a year or two years or three years or four years, and like we just did life and we were really close and I just knew them. We were always doing stuff. Well, now the church has grown. You've added some numbers, so you have to start setting up. Hey, we got a class over here. And perfect example, the PACs. Hey, we're just going gonna to step up and start leading this class. It takes them away from what this morning? Prayer time. It takes them away from setup time. It takes them away. Hey, another couple that begins to take this other role. Another t- couple takes another ministry role because there's more needs with more people, right? So here's the, the, the trellis that's forming. As the trellis forms and the vine is growing, people are more added to it. We're not spending more time. We're not spending all that time that we used to do this. So change happens. And so you know what people say? Man, church just isn't the same. I loved it when we were just all so tight. Remember, we were so loving. We were so tight. And people begin to talk. Now we don't like it because all these outsiders have joined us. Every church plant goes through this. So I'm just laying that out there for you know this year. Next two years, next three, very normal. They feel it. You know, you, you've been there. It's why we're insecure when you step into a new place and you don't know anyone, right? It's, why, it's, it's that feeling. Except now it's a place that you, you feel like should be welcoming and it just hasn't taken place. So um, the dynamic of relationships will go through changes. That's not bad. That's sacrifice. That's measuring the cost. That's gospel intentionality with loss. That's the kingdom while we're here on earth, opening the kingdom of life to others, saying we want you to be a part of us. Doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter um, what, what you do for a living, doesn't matter your backstory. The verses on this, Galatians 6 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's just be honest. How can I carry your burdens if I, I, I'm not even concerned about you? I, I, I don't care about your story because I've got my three or four closest people right here. I didn't flip you off, cuss you out, tell you to leave, but I've got my closest people right here. And again, we've got this God that says, I'm coming after people. Now, on that, completely understand, there's introverts and there's extroverts, right? So I'm pressing some of you to think through more, hey, this may require more, more relationship. For some of you, that, it may be require more, more time commitment. For some of you, it may be um, looking through, hey, man, I feel like I need to just grow in some things and get someone alongside me in, in discipleship to help me grow in some of the things that I may not even be aware of. Carry each other's burdens. How can we carry burdens when we don't even know about them? And so sometimes that, that's on you. You're so private and you're, you've got everything, you're so self-sufficient, got everything together that you, you don't share. You're, you're not in transparency and authenticity. And so, man, 
that's, that's, that can also be forms of pride to where, man, we want to be able to share with people, here's what's going on. You'll fulfill the law of Christ. If we don't have genuine environments where it's safe to share, where it's safe to share parts of our story, if we don't have those, we're really missing it. In James 5, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. When's the last time you went to another person and just confess something and then ask them to pray for you? It's awkward, isn't it? It's probably not real occurring in our, a lot of our places. In 1 Thessalonians 5, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Man, you'd have to know somebody pretty well, right? A lot of relationship collateral. First of all, to know, man, I, can I just share with you, I think there's a lot of idleness. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. And why, why did he combine those two? When there's a lot of idle time, there's a lot of disruptive and disunity that happens. One of the scariest things that happens in churches sometimes is people that, if they just have a lot of idle time, that, that's always, if you notice, there's two or three places where those two are connected with a lot of busybody and a lot of talk, a lot of gossip, a lot of all these different type things. And many times we, we, we've I've been on pastoral uh, councils where we've told people, man, you need to find something to occupy some of your time. You're just sitting around worrying about that woman and worrying about that guy, that guy and worrying about this person, worrying about this, why this, why this, why this, why. You, the rest of us are working. <laughs> like you, you don't have anything going on, whether that's in, in your home, whether that's in a, a shop, whether that's in a in a in a uh, you know a business office. But but idleness is dangerous. It's disruptive. He makes a connection every time to that. Warn those who are idle. You better have some relational collateral. You step into someone's life and go, hey, I, I think there's a lot of idleness. They're just like, get out of my life. See, there should be love there. There should be care there. Encourage the disheartened. How would you know if someone's disheartened? How can we know the disheartened and the weak if everyone is putting on masks of strong, nearly perfect obedience? Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So those aspects of a trusting relationship, a trusting environment, vulnerability, honesty, authenticity. You can't professionalize community and belonging. You can't consumerize community and belonging. In our gospel communities, uh, for this to take place, um, it, we're, we're constantly desiring to create these type of environments for adults. We want that space to be for adults with, with, with no children or youth in that discussion time. Um, at uh, New Beginnings and at Grace Baptist before, uh, at New Beginnings, we had several situations where marriages were restored. That were, like Sometimes um, the, the bad news after you know, six, six weeks was like, oh, he's in an adulterous relationship, it's been going on for six months. Oh, two months later, as they're going through counseling, you find out, oh, she's also in an adulterous relationship. Like, that's messy. That's complex. That's not one, one hour meeting and it's all fixed up. So, but man, we saw that happen. And then some of those people began to share things in group, and, and the group then. Hey, uh, me too. Another guy goes, I've been doing the same thing. That's crazy, right? I get these calls like, hey, can you, we need to meet and do these things. And seeing God bring people back together, see that group experience, that type of level of transparency, that ain't happening if there's a 13-year-old sitting in there. Huh? Huh? Got his phone out. That's not going to happen with 13, 15-year-old sitting in there. Um, we've got to have places where there, there's safety for, for adults to share. That's why we're with the, the parent equipping versus the, the parent integrated. We want these places where people can do that. I've heard, you heard me, heard me say, six or seven couples say, there's just not a place where um, parents can share about the difficulty and the weightiness of the teen years or the, just raising their children. Can, can be honest. And a lot of churches, like you're, you're stared at or looked at like, oh, you're doing anything wrong. Oh, that's because you do this. Oh, that's because you do this. You're not doing what we do. And, and the reality is they're also struggling. So... We want that type of depth and sharing in, in, in those places. So this is difficult to pull off, just being honest. Uh, people want to park, walk in, avoid small talk, find a seat, smile, shake a couple of hands, get their worship on, critique the message, get out, lunch. Whew, God is good. Like that, That's it. You know, like God is good, God is great. Let's thank him for our food. People do not feel comfortable with depth of sharing of what's really going on with their life, their family, their separated feelings of why is God doing this in my life? They do not feel comfortable with transparency or authenticity. We just don't. 
Most were raised in houses where sharing deeper feelings never happened, except if it was anger, outbursts, or rage. Churches catered to that created idea, so quick tip, quick trip churches, quick and transactional, low cost, low, uh, low cost, very comfortable, very convenient. And here's where Americans have a disadvantage compared to other places and other nations. Since everything for consumers lends to convenience and ease and low cost, people expect the same thing for their spiritual lives. And you can't do following Jesus with low cost. You can't do following Jesus with low commitment. You can't do following Jesus with low sacrifice and no relational expectation. It was founded on whoever would follow me must um, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever's going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. It was founded on cost. Um, As you're going through life, expend yourself in making disciples. As you're going through life, Expend your life and your time on making disciples. Expend yourself on the people right in front of you. Lead people to Christ. Lead strangers to Jesus. Carry enough to walk with them spiritually. And for a lot of places in the American church, it's just not happening. With all the opportunity we have for earning and storing up and entertaining ourselves, that's not happening. So just know, this will be costly. This is sacrificial. It's hard. People are messy. And you and I are messy to someone. We want to be in an environment where people really value love and where we really value community and belonging, which means we're going to be walking through the Spirit's power in grace, mercy, compassion, trusting environments, vulnerability, authenticity. All those things are are variables that must be there to have a place that truly values love and truly values belonging and community. So in closing, I don't have it up on the screen, but the walkaways, uh, the first one, just concerning love. Would people around you say that what they experience from you is love? And I just told you that, man, I would say that a lot of people don't experience that love from me very well. Jamie just made a face. What would people say about your Jesus-like love for people who are different from you? What would people say about that? I'm Jesus-like. I'm Jesus-like. But what about people who are different from you? People who are different in lots of ways. And then what about true enemies and strangers? And then concerning community and belonging, would the people around your life say you clearly exhibit an emphasis of grace and mercy and compassion? Would people say that? Would people say around people around you say that um, they, they see you as a person of vulnerability and authenticity? Or are you always just known for the one who's always right? And so in some churches, if, if we, we want to stick to the fidelity of God's word, we believe all, all that's important is being right. And we're not so concerned about grace and love and mercy, compassion, vulnerability, creating places for that and spaces. And again, this is felt. This is clearly felt by people. So um, as we close, as we go to this last song, um, I want to pray that we would uh, consider these things. This isn't a, hey, now, because I brought them out, now obviously we're loving, and now obviously we're good on community and belonging, because that's just not the case. Just because we've stated it doesn't mean that. It's for us now to consider, where's our heart at in that? Am I willing to even look at the honesty that the Holy Spirit would bring to me about whether I'm walking in that or not? So let me pray. Let's pray.